Hello, and welcome to The Backstory, a show where we show how our history has often helped shape our destiny. The Backstory tries to humanize common struggles, issues that most of us face or have faced and have used it to uh, help others in their life. Today, we have, I'm, I'm your host, Cheryl Hatwood, and today we're going to talk with Amy Cornelius about child her childhood obesity. So I'm going to welcome Amy to the show. Good morning. Good morning, Amy. Thank you so much for joining us and 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 just being vulnerable and, and ready to share your your story. So um, let's just jump right in and take me back to your childhood and um, your experiences with childhood obesity. So I grew up in the Midwest on a farm and it was a lovely childhood, but I was an overweight child. I struggled with being overweight my whole life. Not everybody in my family um, had that struggle. My parents didn't. So it shaped me. I, I've really been thinking a lot about this and it, it shapes a child um, in more ways that we can imagine with self-doubt, self-esteem, confidence. I was always the, the last person picked for games and clubs and cliques and it made a huge impact on me um, growing up. Yeah, I think the psychological and, and uh, physical impacts are, are not often highlighted. So take us through some of the challenges you experienced throughout your journey and, you know, and how those experiences impact you. Well, one challenge I had was I'm very tall. I'm 5'10". So I was not only an overweight, obese child, but I've been this tall since fifth grade. So it added an extra layer of um, awkwardness growing up. And when you're overweight or when you have a disability, you don't want to call attention to yourself. You want to stay in the background. And that's kind of how you run your yourself. Um, so I, I had a hard time with, with staying in the background, just with my size and it, it caused me to be introverted in other ways though, kind of drawing into a shell. I was very shy, I was very introverted. I was very awkward in social situations. So I didn't have a very, um, I didn't have a, a good um, base for that as I grew older. So the challenges were that once I did get a little bit of attention, I didn't know how to handle it. I was very awkward all through high school. And it was very emotionally destabilizing, I would say. Unpack that a little bit and explain to me what you mean by emotionally um, um, unstabilizing for you. Well, I so kindergarten through middle school, I was extremely overweight, close to obese. And when I got into high school, then I didn't feel emotionally prepared for the stages of life that you go through at that time. And then I had a medical uh, situation in my life and I did lose some weight and I balanced out of it. And I absolutely did not know how to handle attention or um, interest 
you know, when it comes to uh, relationships and things like that. And the relationships that I had with my parents were okay, but it was interesting, the relationship I had with my father. I mean, he played a bigger role in that than I ever realized until I got to be an adult. And you, sorry, go ahead. Well, as a child, our perceptions are become our reality. So any positive or negative attention that we get from our parents can shape our emotional, um, you know, package that we end up with as an adult. And trust me, those emotions stay with you your whole entire life. The self-doubt, the self-confidence, I still suffer from, from those types of emotions, even though I've, I've come out of it in a long way. But my father was very um, verbally abusive, I would say. He grew up in a household where he was physically and verbally abused. And um, he, I remember an instance where he, one time, um, he put me in front of a mirror to show me how big my stomach was. And it was just probably fourth or fifth grade. And then our culture in my household was, you did not leave the dinner table until you had eaten everything on, on your plate, no matter what. Which we now know, uh, that kind of attention from parents in a negative way can lead to eating disorders. It can lead to, um, you know, how you perceive your body dysfunctionally. It, and that's in my profession. So I try to address some of those things when I help people. But I, I think that's interesting to say because our parents do what they, they knew, right? right? What they thought to be right. But as when we, you have the knowledge, you gain the knowledge. And, and, and this is why I think this platform is, is going to be so helpful that you don't realize the, the future impact of what you're currently doing. I, I can relate to that story about the eating because we had to eat everything on our plate. Mm -hmm. and, and today I have a dislike for certain type of foods just because I remember I didn't like it, but I had to eat it. Um, and, and the value of choice for a child is so important. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that you really touched a point there that that's, that's one of the impact of, that's one of the, that's one of the parents' rules can actually impact the child to become use food as a, a, a as a comfort. Right, right. And then, and and again, it, I you don't have a big realization of this. You can't say that your parents were wrong or that they were doing something malicious or of ill intent. But just in the profession that I'm in now, I can see so many of the side effects of of those behaviors with kids and parents and eating disorders and eating behaviors. We just don't realize it um, as a child. We don't realize it. It also shaped a lot of my parenting um, philosophies, the experiences I had. And I think we all say that I'm never going to be like my parents or I'm never going to do that with my kids. But in my profession, in nutrition education, you can see some of the psychological and physical impacts of those behaviors. So I have a great passion for um, sharing that with people and sharing my story and in the hopes that they can learn something and maybe not go down that path with their kids or at least show up as a better example for their kids. Okay, so take us through that. What what happened? What shifted for you? <laughs> uh, I, I, like, was there a certain moment? Was there a certain, uh, uh, a certain truth that came to you? 
take us through that moment where something changed in you and you pivoted and you decided you're going to do something about, about right. you. Right. That took a long time. And it's always a series of events leading up to kind of a big aha moment. And, and for me, it took me clear up until I was in my late 40s. But I had that childhood background, childhood obesity, the all the psychological implications that, that go along with that. I went through my teens and my 20s with a lack of ability to handle attention well. So I got the wrong kind of attention and I sort of had some behaviors that were not um, appropriate and things like that. So fast forward, I met a, my husband, great Christian man, and he, um, it was the start of my pivotal moment. Um, my father passed away. That was a big pivotal moment. Um, so I'm living my life. I'm, I'm in a relationship. I was saved um, after I was married, shortly before our first child came. And I think that was a huge pivotal moment with me because I just had a better understanding of um, of existential help that you can get and, and having um, a faith that you can rely on. I never had that as a child. So fast forward a little bit more. I'm a nutrition educator and I was very good at telling people what to do. And just about five years ago, I finally showed up for myself and decided to show up for my family and start showing them instead of telling. And I think that was a huge moment in my desire to um, spread this education, you know, and be a little bit more um, outgoing with it and um, passionate about helping people. That's great. I, I just want to take you back to something that you just said. Okay. Um, you said one of the pivotal moments was when your father died and he was one of the pillars in your life to say that um, shaped how you thought about yourself. So what was that when he died? Can you take us through what you experienced? Did you feel, what were you feeling that something, a barrier was lifted? It, uh, just take me through that a little bit. That's a good question, Cheryl, because part of my, part of my imprinting and you are imprinted as a child, you can't really ever take those things away, you can have a better understanding and you can learn how to deal with that imprinting. But he was a very rough person. He loved us. I know he did, but he was a very rough person and he had very strong views on family and behavior and what we, what we should be doing. So it was always our family unit circled around my dad. What kind of mood was he in? What was he going to be angry? Was he going to yell at us about something? Um, we had, we sat at the dinner table together. We had to wait until he came in. We farmed. So most of our family schedule revolved around my dad and being quiet when he was angry or just disappearing when he was, you know, kind of on a, on a rage. So I, I I'm a lot like him. I learned. And when he, when he passed away, it was quite sudden and he was only 51 um, it was just a huge loss for me in that I was only 21 years old and I was just beginning to understand as an, with an adult brain um, 
how I had been shaped and imprinted in my life. I was learning how to deal with it finally, and then suddenly he was gone. So I almost feel like I didn't have any closure with some of the things that happened to me as a child, you know, as a very young adult and a teen. So I was kind of mad that I didn't have him to talk to as an adult and say, what the heck, you know, what were you thinking? We never had that. We never had a chance to have that uh, adult conversation. That's, that's interesting. I, it, I, I, I was thinking, um, Perhaps it helped you shrink, but it, it, it aroused another emotional reaction to because because I, I, because I'm because you mentioned that your father was so so prominent and so dominant mm -hmm. that um, I thought perhaps maybe when he passed that you felt liberated, but you it it brought an anger instead, and that that's, well, that's a very a short term uh, sense of abandonment, a short term sense of anger, um, then as you're going through the grief process, you know, you're angry and then you're, you're, you, sometimes you feel guilt or, and as you move through the grief process, you do come to acceptance. Um, but for a long time I was angry and I've just, I was traumatized. Um, I felt traumatized when he died. And I don't know if that's some kind of, um, um, what do you call it? Um, you know, the relationship that you have with like a tormentor, but um, it's just, it was just an yeah. interesting process for me. And, and as I grew and matured and outgrew those feelings, you know, I, I really do value the, the good times that we had and the positive times, but what associate, what my father associated with me and my weight and, 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 and that area of my life has stayed with me forever. And now I just like to turn it into a teaching experience, a learning experience for other people that I'm talking to or, or people that I'm helping. Great. So tell us now, you know, <laughs> fast forward again. Right, right. Take, tell us now that you are a nutritionist, you said. I am a nutrition educator. I did that for many years, uh, 30 25, 30 years ago, I, I started down this path, learned a lot. Um, then I transi transitioned to stay-at-home mom for a while, which was wonderful. I have three kids. I never took care of myself. And this was kind of a carryover of that imprinting from my childhood. It was always about someone else in my family. How are they feeling? What are we? How, how can we take care of them? What kind of mood are they in? Well, I jumped into that full force as a mother, especially when I transitioned to stay-at-home mom. It was about every single person in the whole family except me. I think as women, we tend to be the nurturers and, mm -hmm. and forget that self-care has to be implemented too. Right. So. But we don't realize how unhealthy that is for us at times and that it's okay to be selfish and want to take care of yourself. And that's a big message I have for younger moms. Um, to put yourself first a lot. It's okay. Don't feel guilty about it. So I finally did that for myself five years ago. I got my health under control. I have some history in the family of heart disease and, um, and diabetes and other things. So I finally listened to myself and then I did get some um, outside help as well. And it's the first time I really put myself first. And it took me up until I was 48 years old to realize that was okay. And I did it. And I, now I just, I love 
helping other people do what I did, um, however they need it, you know, wherever they're coming from, in whatever manner I can help. So tell us how, how, how do you, how do you help them and how? Okay. So I was thinking about this a lot. I volunteer a lot in the schools. I have three kids that went through the school system. I see some things within that system that I wish we could fix, like standardized nutrition education and not just a poster on the wall. Um, parents don't know what they don't know. And that's, and that's a big, a big thing. When I talk to people, I'm always surprised at what they don't realize about nutrition and how important it is for the body and the growth of children and stuff like that. So I volunteer in the school systems. I try to be an influencer. I'm on different um, charity boards and philanthropic, um, um, you know, organizations. And I just have realized since my transformation five years ago that I showing up and being a good example is one of the best things that I can do. That's and awesome. then I'll speak at, you know, different um, clubs and organizations and, you know, organize group health challenges and things like that, you know, you know within my business. But um, for me, it's about loving and serving people as much as I can. That's where the reward is in helping mm -hmm. each other. So mm -hmm. what, what is your mantra in life? <laughs> that, what is your mantra? Well, right now, um, it's, um, I'm so nervous a little bit, but this is so much fun too. <laughs> I think I've narrowed it down to live, love and serve. And I'll tell you why I didn't really grow up that way. And I had a great childhood. I don't want to discount, you know, any of that. There were so many good things, but I, so I didn't come to know anything about, um, having faith of any kind, whatever that may be, you know, um, for people, um, until after I was married. And then of course we had little kids. So we teach the Sunday school class, the two-year-old Sunday school class, right? It's all the parents. Um, and one of the first Bible verses that I taught my older boy was Galatians 5.13. And just to paraphrase a little bit, and this goes along with my live, love, and serve mantra. Um, I'm going to paraphrase, but we're called to be free but um, we're not to use that freedom for selfish reasons or for opportunistic reasons or for um, for of the flesh. And I'm just looking super quick at my note, but we are to serve one another humbly and in love. And that has stuck with me for so many years through all my experiences, that first Bible verse. And I was learning all that stuff right along with my kids. I didn't grow up churched or in any kind of faith-based um situation. So that's stuck with me forever. And I just love it. And I love to live. I want to live um, and I want to love and I want to serve however I can. That's beautiful. Well, thank you, Amy, for sharing a little, just giving us a little snapshot into your life. I want to thank the audience for joining. And if you enjoyed the backstory, please subscribe and share and invite your friends to listen to the podcast. Until next time, your backstory always has lessons. Thank you for joining.